0: We will hear some of the sounds of the Fête de la Musique coming in through the windows today, and we just sort of let that uh, be part of our worship as well. A few summers ago, when we were back in the US for a visit, I gave my oldest son, who was five years old at the time, a choice. The whole family was together in New Mexico for uh, a gathering for several days, and we needed to get back to Minnesota. So, should we take the two-hour flight with everybody else, Or should we drive for 25 hours instead, just the two of us? The choice is obvious, right? (laughs) It is for me, actually. I'm a sucker for road trips. I love that slow pace of getting from one place to another that way, listening to the radio and watching the landscape change and noticing all the towns that you pass through along the way. And one of my favorite memories from this particular road trip was a storm that we saw in Oklahoma. This particular part of the country is as flat as can be. There are certainly no mountains obstructing the horizon and very few trees as well. So driving through farmland with this wide open sky in front of us, it felt like we had a real front row seat to the action of this storm. We watched the sky slowly darken out in the distance as the light all around us began to change. We could see the thunderheads start swirling in the midst of these other dark storm clouds. and We felt the winds pick up and start buffeting the car. And then quite quickly, we could see this massive wall of rain and wind come sort of roaring across the prairies toward the car. And we were safe and sound inside, of course. But even so, you could not miss the power in what was happening around us. You've watched a storm like that, right? Maybe in your home country, or maybe here in the mountains at some point. A big storm is an awe-inspiring, awesome thing to watch. And I have to imagine that from a flimsy boat far from shore, it is also profoundly frightening. The disciples find themselves caught in a storm like that in our reading from the Gospel of Mark today. It's evening, and Jesus wants to go somewhere, so they all pile into a boat and head out into the water. Weather can change suddenly, and it seems that's what happened here. Nobody saw the storm coming, but come it did, and with such force that waves were throwing water in the boat and quickly threatening to sink it. From that safe, dry car on the highway in Oklahoma, I felt a little afraid of that storm plowing across the plains. And I can only imagine what the disciples felt as their small boat began to fill with water. I think we can understand very well the fear in their voices as they try to rouse Jesus from his nap at this inopportune time. Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? As an aside, it's kind of amazing that Jesus managed to sleep through this life-threatening storm that was also probably soaking him, right? Sort of two miracles in this story. (laughs) Jesus does wake up at the disciples' urging. He stands up tall and speaks to this storm as if it's a demon to be exercised. Peace, be still. And suddenly it is. Suddenly this thing that was threatening everyone's lives is gone, and the place is only now in a dead calm, a glassy, smooth lake sparkling with moonlight. Everybody's all right now. I imagine Jesus might have curled up and gone back to sleep. So why are the disciples still afraid? You can miss this in our translation, which says that after the storm was over, they were filled with great awe, which sounds sort of gentle and nice. That softens the force of the text, though. They feared exceedingly, the King James Version says of this verse, or they feared a great fear, the Greek literally says. And they said to one another, Who then is this, that even the wind and the sea obey him? As I've sat with this familiar story over the past week, I've been struck by that ongoing presence of fear. I mean, the danger is over and the storm is past, and Jesus is with them. So shouldn't the disciples be as calm as that sea now? Shouldn't they have left their fears behind? What are they still afraid of? You might know that the disciples get a pretty bad rap in Mark's Gospel. They're slow to understand Jesus' teachings. They keep squabbling with each other about petty things. They abandon Jesus in his time of greatest need and they are nowhere to be found in the end. So, it would be easy to look at their fear here as just another example of their thick headedness. Don't you guys get it? Jesus is with you. You're not supposed to be afraid anymore. And you could read it that way. But I'm actually not so comfortable dismissing the disciples' fear so easily. Maybe they're actually onto something here. Maybe that great fear they sense does have an element of truth to it. After all, they are now just beginning to learn that they are on a ride they cannot control. Last Sunday, we heard a couple of parables from Jesus, both about seeds. And I think at sort of a first reading, these can seem like tame little stories from Jesus about things you might find in your garden. But as we saw last week, they're actually profoundly mysterious. The kingdom of God isn't something you own or manage yourself, Jesus says. No, it's like a seed that takes root and grows and flourishes beyond you. You don't get to determine the timeline or the outcome. It demands your participation, but you can't control it. I imagine the disciples puzzling over that strange way of speaking about the kingdom of God as Jesus finishes teaching for the day and tells them to get a boat ready. And I imagine them debating with one another about it, as they're drifting on the sea that night while Jesus sleeps, and after the storm is done, and they've seen even the wind and the sea obey Jesus, I imagine them fearing a great fear at the wild ride they are just beginning to realize is starting. It's a little like a famous scene in C.S. Lewis's book The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. The four Pevensey children are all new to the land of Narnia, Trouble is afoot, and they've been taken in by a couple of kindly beavers who feed them and tell them the hopeful news that Aslan is now on the move. The children know nothing of Aslan yet, and so they ask their hosts about him. Is, is he a man? Asked Lucy. Aslan, a man, said Mr. Beaver sternly. Certainly not. I tell you, he is the king of the wood and the son of the great emperor beyond the sea. "'Don't you know who is the King of Beasts? "'Aslan is a lion, the lion, the great lion.' "'Ooh,' said Susan, "'I thought he was a man. "'Is he quite safe? "'I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion.' "'That you will, dearie, and make no mistake,' said Mrs. Beaver. "'If there's anyone who can appear before Aslan "'without their knees knocking, "'they're either braver than most or else just silly. "'Then he isn't safe.' said Lucy. Safe, said Mr. Beaver. Don't you hear what Mrs. Beaver tells you? Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe. He's good. He's the king, I tell you. I think the disciples are sensing something similar here, out there on that newly calmed sea. They're beginning to recognize that this Jesus they are following is not, in fact, safe. He's not just gonna teach them a few interesting things and leave it at that. He's not gonna simply entertain them with a few miraculous tricks. He's not gonna leave their lives the way they were. No, he's gonna draw them into new futures and lead them to new encounters. He's gonna point them in new directions as they work for God's reign of justice and peace. Just look at where they are headed now. It's easy to miss here, but Mark says that Jesus directed the disciples to go across the lake to the other side. And on the other side of the lake was a place quite different from where they'd been spending their time thus far. On the other side of the lake was the country of the Gerasenes. So far, Jesus and the disciples have been spending their time in Jewish communities, teaching and healing in synagogues, speaking with crowds of Jewish people. But the other side of the lake was a Gentile area, communities of people with different beliefs and practices and customs. And that's where Jesus was directing them now, into the unfamiliar, into the unknown. There are storms along the way in following Jesus, storms between the comfortable places where we've been and the new places to which we're being led. Storms between the old certainties we've clung to and the new insights we're invited to embrace. Storms between the old familiar shore and the other side of the lake, where Jesus' love keeps reaching out farther than we thought it could. We might as well say it plainly, Jesus isn't safe. There are storms along the way as we grow into the people he calls us to be, as we learn to love as he loves. It makes sense that the disciples feared a great fear out there on the lake, realizing that this one whom even the wind and the sea obey was going to keep stretching them, keep challenging them, keep leading them beyond their homes to the other side. The journey for them was just beginning, and there were storms yet to come. Maybe you are in one of those storms right now, Maybe your familiar ways of thinking about God and your faith aren't lining up very well with the world as you're experiencing it. Or maybe you're sensing God's love in a wider circle than you ever had thought possible. Or maybe you're not sure where in the world God is taking you at this time. Jesus isn't safe. There are storms along the way in following him. But take heart, because he is good. He's greater than the storms. His love is bigger and wider and stronger by far. He means to see you through this journey. And here's the thing. No matter how choppy the sea gets, no matter how high the waves or how strong the wind, Jesus is not abandoning ship. He's not going anywhere. Even in the storm, he's there in the boat with you, now and always. Amen.